Welcome to the Messiah Podcast. We are so glad you tuned in today. With the onset of COVID-19, the church has been flipped upside down and has entered into a rebuilding phase. So, we have turned to Nehemiah and the story of God's faithfulness through rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem to find hope. We hope the Lord quiets your head and heart to hear truth and be challenged through His Word. Without further ado, let's dive into Pastor Ed Derner's message. Good morning, everybody. Uh, grab a Bible, if you will. Uh, before we get to Nehemiah, we're going to turn to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 4. It's the fifth book of the Bible. Uh, the, if you notice, the Bibles are back in the pews. And uh, so if you'd like a Bible, take one as our gift to you. But we're going to start out in Deuteronomy 4. It's on page 179 if you're using the Bible in the pew. Otherwise, grab your phone out and uh, turn to there and just kind of have that ready. I just want to review for a moment. Uh, we're in the last chapter of Nehemiah. So if you're just joining us, you know you're joining us for the last chapter of the book. And uh, so let me kind of fill you in really simply. Uh, the Israelites in their disobedience were actually exiled over to Babylon, and, uh, which is a very long ways away from uh, Israel. And while they were over there, God put it on Nehemiah's heart to actually come back. And he noticed the walls were broken down and rebuilt the walls. Then it was the first time that the Israelites were able to gather for worship. They had not done this in 70 years. They gathered for worship. Uh, They gathered around the Word of God. Uh, They began to change their lives, and they started to listen and be in community as just a a group of believers. And uh, they had never done this before. So it was absolutely amazing. But what happens to all of us is that the novelty can very quickly wear off. And uh, so today, as we look at the, cha- the last chapter, I kind of wish that there was no last chapter, but it's reality. That if we would have stopped last week with the obedience of the Israelites, the excitement of the Israelites, all is good, they're on the right track, they're on the right path, all great, uh, and then comes the last chapter, and then we're going to find they quickly drift away and start falling away from God. But we need to address it because that's our human nature. So as we've been rebuilding in the summer... Um, we're not over, now we look to the fall to say how can we keep growing and learning and study more and get closer in our relationship with God. That's really what this is about. So I want to ask you a question today, and a uh, simple question, but sometimes hard to answer. Uh, how healthy are you? Just let's try to answer that question. Now you can answer that question spiritually, emotionally, relationally, Mentally, physically, how healthy are you? You might recall from last week, we talked about there's a natural flow from our bodies, just the way we are, that wants to tend towards unhealth. It's natural. It's natural spiritually to drift away from God. And I'll circle back around in a moment. But yet our bodies crave and they thrive on becoming healthy. But we know that they're naturally degenerative. You know that our bodies aren't getting better with age, are they? It's getting harder with age. uh, Just all the health issues. And so our bodies naturally become unhealthy. And what we have to ask is what are we doing and what are we actually feeding it? Uh, because that's either going to help us be more unhealthy or better healthy. Um, so it's the impact. I mean, let me just tell you, it, it's the impact of sin. It's not necessarily what we're doing. 
It's just this impact of sin. God told Adam and Eve, the day you eat the fruit, you're going to die. And they didn't keel over dead. But what happened was they didn't realize that their bodies began the process of dying. And so, ever since we're born, I mean, there's a time where our bodies are growing and then there's a whole lifetime of our bodies are slowly dying. And then what do we do? Are we just going to kind of let it happen? Or do we fight against it? Do we try to do something against it? Which is why society is not necessarily going to get better in and of itself. We will get more degenerate, if you will, um, and it's going to naturally get worse. Uh, not all that different. Uh, you know, I've, I've been enjoying my time out in the garage, and uh, cars don't naturally get better. Did you know that? They just don't. It just seems like they get worse, which is why we have to repair them and get them the way they were, and then they just slowly get worse. I was out there yesterday working on my daughter's car and she needed a part and I ran to the store and they didn't have the brand I like. They had a different brand and I said, would you put this on your car? And the guy said, no. I said, that's all I needed to hear. Why would I put something that's not going to be good on my car, my daughter's car? But now let's think about this for a minute. Let's, let's talk about health for a minute and then you'll see where this whole message is going to go. Are you eating healthy? You know, ever since I lost the weight, I'm extremely conscious about what I put in my body. But I notice there's a little creep. Like, somebody brought in cookies the other day. That's like, that's not fair. So I was in the garage yesterday by myself, and I ate a whole row of cookies. I knew I shouldn't, but I did. So I'm noticing I'm starting to eat a little bit more candy. I'm starting to eat more cookies. Went to a wedding reception last night. I went for broke and had two cupcakes. See, I naturally, I mean, not naturally, by choice, don't eat sugar and flour. But yet, I notice a creep, like, oh, just a little, oh, just a little, oh, a little chocolate, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Pretty soon, I'm gaining a lot of weight. Isn't that natural? I mean, don't we do this? Like, it just happens. And you have to fight against it. Now let's talk spiritually. Remember last week the analogy I gave you? That it's like, it's like a river and you're close to God. And if, if you just stop paddling, you're going to go down the river and you're going to get further and further and further away from God. And here's three things I'm going to encourage you to think about today. Recognize where you are is number one. Where are you? Where are you health-wise? Spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally. Where are you? Because if you don't know where you are, you're lost. Number two, you got to make a choice. You have to make a choice. Like, if I recognize I'm far from God, I have a choice to make. Do nothing, keep drifting, or make a choice to do something about it. But you know, I hear people talk all the time. Hey, I made a choice. To get closer to my relationship with God. Great, what are you doing? Uh, nothing. There's the third step. It's got to be followed with an action. You've got to do something that actually causes you to grow in your relationship with God. And if you're not going to paddle towards God, you're going to drift away from God. So let's start with Deuteronomy 4. I just want to read this. Remember, this is what God said to Moses. Chapter 4, find verse 5. 
See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them, there's action, in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? There's another action. And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I was setting before you today? Here it is. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart. Do you catch those two things? Forget what you've seen. Let them fade from your heart as long as you live. And then here's a mandate. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Do you see how it's not like automatic? Learn them. Act on them. Teach them. Obey them. Don't forget them. Remind yourself. Keep observing what God has done. Those are all action steps that don't happen naturally. Okay, so now turn to Nehemiah. Page 490 if you're using this Bible. And what we're going to see is, uh, so a little background. Uh, Nehemiah was actually in Jerusalem for 12 years. And you know, we've been studying this of all the things that he did. Now he went back. He had to go back. He was the cupbearer of the king, you might remember. That's the king's right hand person that gives him his wine, tastes his food, and makes sure that it's not poisoned. So that's the most trusted person in the whole kingdom, is the cupbearer. And so he went back to the king, and then we don't know how much time passed. The Bible doesn't tell us. Some time passed that he asked the king, would you mind if I went back to Jerusalem just to kind of check on things? So the king granted his request and he goes back to Jerusalem. So chapter 13, verse 1. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people and there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. Our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. When the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. All right, this is not a racial issue. Let me just explain. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, when they were in slavery, they wanted to go through Moab, just pass through, and the Moabites denied them. They wanted to go through Ammon, and the Ammonites denied them, would not let them go through. They didn't trust them. And so part of this is, is that they were ungodly nations. And what you're going to see throughout this chapter is God is so careful about what influences our life because he knows that the influences will steer us away from God. Just like the influence of cookies and candy steer me away from good health, the influences of ungodly nation and relationships can very easily sway us away from God. 
And God did not want them interacting, intermingling, intermarrying them because He knew that their hearts were going to be drawn away from God. And God was protecting that. Okay, so verse 4. Before this, Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was closely assorted with Tobiah. And he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles and also the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians, and gatekeepers as well as the contributions for the priests. All right, now let me explain here. Tobiah, if that name rings a bell, you can go back and read it in chapter 6 of Nehemiah. Tobiah led the efforts against Nehemiah to discourage the building of the wall. He was part of the deception, the lies, the accusations, the false accusations to intimidate Nehemiah. He happened to marry an Israelite person And so, somehow he kind of got on the in where he was on the attack. Now he's actually like inside, not just inside. The priest cleared out all the godly things on the temple, cleared them out, and put this person and said, you can live here in the temple. Which, everything about that is just wrong. Okay, so verse 6. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. Remember what we read, that they were not allowed. Now not only are they not allowed... But now he's actually in the temple itself in the courts of God. I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. So let me just pause here. That's the first thing that he found. Like, whoa, I I left. And what happened to you? Why are you so disobedient? See, you know, one of the reasons why we gather in church is that it helps to hold us all accountable to what God wants us to do. And when we don't have that, and Nehemiah was holding them accountable, and then Nehemiah leaves, and then there's the drift, there's the creep, there's the the falling away, until finally, it's something that's so blatantly obvious to Nehemiah, but obviously not to the people. See, isn't that how it happens? Like when I start dabbling in unhealthy eating, pretty soon, I'm just eating all this junk and it takes somebody who's healthy to look at me and go, what are you doing? I'm just having a few snacks. What are you doing? See, it takes somebody sometimes to hold us accountable to go, that's killing you. What are you doing that for? And Nehemiah came back and realized, oh my goodness, this has been going on for a while. All right, here's the second thing now, verse 10. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them. And all that the Levites and 
and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service have gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? And I called them together and stationed them at their posts. All right, let me explain again. Remember this room that Tobiah was occupying that also had all the grain? That was all the offerings that were coming in for the people, from the people. And then that was to be distributed among the Levites who were to care for the house of God as like an offering so that they had something to live on. Well, if you clean the room out, there's no place to store it. And so the Levites are like, we're hungry. If you're not going to feed us, i got to go get a job. And they went back to their lands. Kind of like if you as a church said, we think we don't want to pay the staff and pay you, Ed, anymore, so we're not going to pay you anymore. Um, after a while, I would have to go get a job. That's kind of the same thing that was going on. But they couldn't afford to have the Levites, so they all had to go back. So now, all the godly things are all being neglected. That's the second thing. Verse, now we're at verse 12. All Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil into the storerooms. I put Shelemiah the priest, Shaddock the scribe, and a Levite named Padiah in charge of the storerooms and made Hanan, son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah, their assistant because they were considered trustworthy. They were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their fellow Levites. See how what he's doing? Here's the action. He came in. Here's the three steps. He recognized something's terribly wrong, made a decision, whether that was to throw out all that stuff, change who was put in, in charge, and, and then took an action step. And now people started to bring their, their offerings back in so that they could actually not neglect the house of God any longer and have somebody to help teach the Word of God. Here's verse 14 now. Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. Okay, there's two things. Here's the third one. In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore I warned them against selling food on that day. People from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you are doing desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same things? So that our God brought all this calamity on us and on this city, now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. Boy, that was a little creep, wasn't it? That they were instructed on the Sabbath, no selling, no buying. They were to stay home, rest, focus on their relationship with God, on their families, on community, get healthy again, hit it again the next day. And this is where it crept in. Somebody came in, a merchant came in, and, oh, I'm a little short on salt. Go over, buy the salt, go back home, you know. Oh, I'm short on this. And pretty soon, the marketplaces are out on the Sabbath. See, it didn't happen in a day. Most of where we get to doesn't happen in a day happens with that first cookie. Harmless. Pretty soon we're eating junk food. But that's true for all of these things, right? It happens just 
oh, I'm too tired today to have my devotions. And then I'm too tired and I'm too tired and I'm too tired and I'm too tired. And then pretty soon, we're feeding on news and feeding on all this other stuff and wondering why our heart's struggling. Because we're so wrapped up in this that we forgot about God's Word. It doesn't happen in a day. It happens over time. And then you have to ask yourself, what am I feeding my spiritual, mental, relational, physical? What am I feeding on? Because now we're just perpetuating something that's unhealthy. And it takes somebody to come into our life to look at our life and say, what are you doing? I mean, it's kind of like couples today. You know, I had two weddings yesterday. And it's just a normalcy now of couples living together. And it's just like, what are you doing? You're, you're starting off so wrong and so bad that they don't even realize what they're doing. I have to tell you, uh, weddings uh, have really changed. Uh, I do more teaching at a wedding because most, most young people today, um, for many of them, it's the first time in a church and they don't have a clue about God or the scriptures or about a wedding. And so I actually take about 15 or 20 minutes and say, let's walk through the wedding and show you how this is all God's design. And they're fascinated. They've never heard this before. They've never heard that weddings are so biblical and why do we do it and what is a wedding and it's not living together and it's not sleeping together. It's something that God does. And, and I'm noticing this younger generation doesn't know. But remember what we read in Deuteronomy? Teach your children and their children because they don't know. Okay, so let's continue. Verse 19. When evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not open until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem, but I warned them and said, why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I'll arrest you. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. All right, here's the fourth thing that he noticed. Moreover, on those days, in those days, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. Now this is probably not a way to lead the church. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you're not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Then he reminds them of the past. Was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Can I just reference that? God told Solomon, the most incredible man, besides Jesus, most wisest man, don't marry women that are ungodly. Don't do it. The same as he tells us today, if you're a believer in Christ, don't marry an unbeliever. 
Why? Because it robs your children of the blessing of growing up in a family that believes and loves Christ. And he said, don't do it. And Solomon did it. And if you read about Solomon's life, he went from being, he had God's favor and blessing, and then all of these women who were ungodly led his heart away. He began building shrines and altars to other gods. And Solomon's heart was turned completely against God. Until we read in the book of Proverbs that somewhere he wakes up, and what does he do? He says, man, have I fallen. He finally recognized how far he had fallen. So understand where God's coming from in this. God is going to protect us as much as we allow Him from any influence that pulls us away from Him. He'll strip things out of our life that are not right. Sometimes it might mean that we lose something of great value to us because God's stripping it away from us because He wants us to go back to God. Because He knows if we feed on this, it's going to just literally turn us further from God until finally we turn our back on God. Do you know that that's why Jesus came to this earth? Because we're so messed up, aren't we? We're so broken. Give us a choice to eat something healthy or something unhealthy. I don't know about you, but 99 out of 100 times, I'm going to go for the unhealthy but I gotta make a choice to do the healthy, but I know what I really want. That's how we are. God knows spiritually, 99 out of 100 times, we're gonna make a choice to do what's wrong, and that's our first thought, and then we have to stop and say, what does God want me to do to make a good choice? And that's why Jesus came, because we are messed up. But he came to show grace, forgiveness. And I think God realized along the way that giving us more laws drive us further away. So you know what Jesus did? Ditch the laws. How about we go with grace? That maybe the kindness and goodness of God would draw us back to him. Maybe recognizing that Christ gave up his life for us would draw us back. Maybe seeing the pain and suffering of Christ would draw us back into relationship with him. And I would encourage you, go back to those three things I told you at the beginning. Where are you? Where are, on the spectrum, where are you? Just identify and recognize it. And then make a choice. Are you going to keep going? You want to, you want to start turning back. You know, we turn it when you, we call it when you turn back. Simple word for it, repentance. Repentance just means I'm walking away from God, and repentance means I turn around and I turn towards God. That's repentance. And then we start the action choice of, God, how do I get back closer to you? And what you'll find is that God immediately restores us and loves us, and then encourages us. Keep going. Keep going. This way. 
and fight against this. And it's for one reason. God's incredible love for us. And he doesn't want to lose anyone. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I don't know how to say thank you enough that you came into this broken world to save sinners like us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for calling us back. Thank you that you don't punish us when we drift away from you, but you just, you call us back over and over again because you want us to be in a relationship with you, a close relationship with you. That's what you long for. Father, I pray that we would just stop to see where we are and make a choice to go back to you and then do the action steps to grow in our relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you do for us each and every day. And thank you that you never give up on us. It's in your name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you are challenged and encouraged to walk in truth in your everyday. Please share with friends and family, and we can't wait to have you next time on the Messiah Podcast.